We say, oh God, that is who you are. That is who you are. You are all that we need. You are all that we long for. You are everything, everything that satisfies our heart and our soul and our mind and our spirit. And today we say you are our healer. You are a restorer of our lives. You are a resurrection God. And we love you. We worship you this morning. Wow, thank you, Lord. Thank you for a people of faith in this room. Thank you for a people full of faith, full of believing that God will do what he says he's going to do. He is faithful, and he's called a faithful people together this morning. So bless you, bless you. Well, hallelujah. It's so good to be back. You know, on that note, uh, I remember being inspired a few years ago hearing this story from Martin Luther that he reportedly prayed five hours every day. And, and, but, but when his days were expected to be extra busy, he prayed an extra hour. Because he understood that the ease with which he could do the things he was meant to do throughout his day began with establishing his priorities correctly and aligning things in the realm of the spirit. Sometimes things take us three to four hours, not because they're meant to or supposed to, but because there's spiritual interruption. And part of what faith does, it brings the orchestration uh, and the alignment of heavenly things into our lives so that what normally takes us three hours, we could do in one. And uh, what what if that came upon the entirety of our lives? And suddenly we found ourselves with five to eight extra hours in a week, right? Then all of a sudden, volunteering for something like that wouldn't be that hard. Amen? So, Father, teach us how to uh, incorporate into our lives that alignment. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about is I had a dream this week. And in the dream... I, 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 didn't, I felt like I was called to worship in an unusual way. I felt like I, there was, I, I can't remember exactly what was around me, but there was this intimidating atmosphere. And I knew I was supposed to dance, but not just dance, but dance in a way I had never danced before. And, uh, and so I went up and I was, I was jumping around. It was like an, a cross between a, I don't know, a CrossFit trainer and ballerina. And, uh, and I began to spin, and as I began to spin, I, I began to rise up into the air, and I began to float into the air, and suddenly it broke something around me, and everybody else who was locked down and unable to enter that place of selfless worship suddenly entered into a new realm. I want to say to you that that could be you as an individual breaking through for others. And it could be us breaking through for the whole body of Christ. There is always spiritual intimidation around worship. Because the one thing that God looks for more than anything else is wholehearted worship. One last thing I want to say this morning. I was reading in Luke right before Jesus ascended into heaven. He was talking to the disciples and he was sharing with them the significance of the moment they were in. But then it says this in Luke chapter 24, I think it is. And it says, then he opened their minds to the scriptures. 
And I, I believe that there is an anointing that God wants to bring to this house to open our minds to the scriptures. And you might be here today, and you might not even be a Christian, and you might have been dragged along by some people who uh, said you should be here. I want to declare today that over your life, there's a breakthrough coming. Let's stand up together. There's a breakthrough coming. And so, Father, I bind every demonic power that seeks to harass and close the eyelids of our heart. I say in Jesus' name, let revelation, let revelation be our inheritance today. Open our minds to the kingdom. Open our minds to the spirit realm. Open our minds to the scripture. Open our minds to see what is right in front of us. We pray in Jesus' name. We're going to keep singing that because we're prophesying against that shadow that's over your life that causes you to begin to fear as soon as things start to go well. You begin to anticipate theft. You begin to anticipate crisis because we've been acclimatized to a world where we are always being victimized. But this is the reality that God has called us to. I will see in the land of the living what God has for me. Declare it. Break through war on behalf of your provision right now. So Lord, we say this morning, thank you for bringing us into the covenant of your son. Thank you, Father, for the covenant of your son, the new covenant that gives us access to your presence, not by our perfection, but by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We declare today the righteousness of Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. You know, it dawned on me about three-quarters of the way through the worship that there's still a cross-section of the church that doesn't understand what worship is. And, and there's a... When that's the case, we, we wait till our emotions are stirred or shifted by the right tune, the right harmonies, the right sounds. And sometimes, and you might be here today, and you might be wondering, well, why do we do these things in between the lyrics? What are we doing there? You know what you're doing? You're prophesying. You're prophesying. You're prophesying. When somebody came to Moses and said, hey, we found people prophesying, and we told them to stop it. He said, don't be jealous for my account. I would that all the people were prophets, because this is the destiny of the sons of God, that you would use the sound of your voice to bring the reality of heaven to the earth. That's where it begins. And so when we're, when we're reaching into something, that, like as with this song where we're declaring, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
I will see. We're not just singing songs like, oh, David must have had a real revelation when he said that. Well, that's a pretty, pro, pretty, pretty piece of prose. No, no, no. This is the present reality if you engage with the tools that God has given you. You know, when God said to Israel, said, listen, I'm going to take you into a hostile land with walled cities. I'm going to give you an inheritance. But here's how it's going to happen. I'm going to go before you. And that pattern still remains. When we speak, something goes before us. When we prophesy, something goes before us. And so we say today, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Today, here and now, in Spruce Grove, Parkland County, I will see it. I will see it. It will come to me. It will be my reality. I will see it. I will live it. I will walk in the provision of heaven here and now. And that's where it starts, right there. Can you feel the faith in the room? Hallelujah. One last little thing, and then we'll shift, and we'll take our offering in a second. But on Friday morning, we had a meeting, and we were praying, and the Lord took us into a deep mystery. But, you know, deep mysteries are also shallow truths if you don't understand them. Let me say that again. Deep mysteries are shallow truths when not understood. And we can acknowledge the shallow truth. We can, we can intellectually give assent to a, a certain biblical text. We say, yeah, I, I, assent, I give assent, my assent that that is true. I agree with that. But there are times when the depth of that truth becomes so glaringly clear, it's stunning. And its beauty begins to unravel before us in the most mystical way. And that happened Friday morning regarding some simple truths. And I began to write down some cues because I wanted to meditate on it later and maybe write something about it. But I went later in the afternoon to look at those notes and I couldn't get back to the depth of the truth. I couldn't get back to it. I tried to write and I couldn't get back to it. And all of a sudden, I saw the seven spirits of God that were before the throne of God. The seven candlesticks, the, the burning flames of the, of the seven branches. Each one represents the seven spirits of God, it says in Revelations. And the Lord said to me, Mark, you have to be near the illuminating flame of the revelation to get back into it. And as I begin to enter the presence of the Lord later that day, suddenly it was night and day. When I entered into the reality, suddenly the depth of those words came back to me, flooding back to my soul. I'm telling you, read the scripture, meditate on the scripture, but more than that, long to enter that realm of the revelation where simple truths become deep mysteries revealed. That is your inheritance as well. Oh God, thank you for giving us access. Hallelujah. One more thing. You know, it's great to listen to somebody else talk 
about their revelation, the thing they came to when they drew near to the revelation of that particular candlestick, whether it's the fear of the Lord or the spirit of might or whatever it is. And, and we do get inspired by the testimony of others, and that does something for us. But you know what? It's meant to be a token of what's possible for you. It's only meant to be a message, an advance, promissory note that says you can have this too. And not just by proxy through a third party. But as you learn to draw near, the clarity with which that person is speaking it can be yours. So, Father, we say, Lord, open up our hearts and minds today to realize what you have made available for us. Amen. Father, thank you for the spirit of revelation. Thank you, God, that, uh, that you have made provision for us to see clearly. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, we sang a couple of songs that was interesting uh, when we were singing Blow Away the Darkness. We sang that last line that says, till all that's left is you. I just, that stood out to me as a, as a prophetic reality that God is trying to bring into our life. And the other the other part of the second song we sang says this, and I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. And I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. Yeah, now you want to talk about a prophetic word for your life, right? You can sing that because the, the tune is catchy and it's pretty and, you know, it's being sung melodically uh, with some nice harmonies and it's, you know, it's attractive. But more than that, yeah. It represents a reality, a truth, and the sword of the Spirit in your hand is meant to take that truth and to say, I will do this. It is a firm foundation. I will not be shaken. And so let's watch how we interact with these songs because they're not just nice reminders. Right? They're not just nice reminders. They're present realities that some are participating in a whole, in a, in a way that others are just sort of musing about. Others are building their life by these truths. Paul, the Apostle Paul, says to, to Timothy, he said, Listen, there are prophetic words that were given to you in your life. War, war using those words. Why? Because they're prophetic destinies. They're, well, but God said it. Isn't the fact that God said it mean it's going to happen? You know, I can just sit back and say, yeah, you know, God, you said it. Here it comes. And it doesn't come, and it doesn't come, and it doesn't come. We wonder, well, like, well, God said it. Let me remind you, God, you said it. Yeah, but you're not warring with the word. You're not fighting for that. You're not, well, how do I fight? Speak to it. Speak to it. You know, God says to the prophet, he says, can these bones live, Jeremiah? And he said, I don't know. <laughs> you know. He says, speak to them. You speak to them. Is not my word like a hammer? You need to discover the word is a hammer, is a sword in your life. You need to speak the word of the Lord that does not return void. 
You need to discover the difference between speaking things with an emotional push because you got to that right place in in your intellect and in your soul. You know, you got out of the depression, out of the heaviness, out of the hopelessness. Like, oh, I feel so good about it. Yeah, it might, might possibly happen. You need to rise even above that to the place where you know, listen, this is coming in Jesus' name. I declare such and such for my life. This is how you war. This is the, the ability you have. And if you do these things, you will not be shaken. But if you just muse about the possibilities and let the nuances of the song affect you emotionally, that's not going anywhere. That'll wear off as, uh, as quickly as the heat from your microwave dinner. Just, I thought I heated this up. Yeah, but it sat there for 15 minutes and now it's cold. Ineffective. And I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. And I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. Love those words. Love them. Hallelujah. So, I want to talk about one of the themes that I've talked about before because it never gets old. It never gets old, right? And uh, we have to keep reminding ourselves of these realities. But I felt this today. And uh, and actually, I spoke this last week in Moncton. But I was, uh, I was feeling this, this sense again of the immunity. How do we become immune? How do we get to the place where, where we're not afraid that everything is going to go bad tomorrow? <laughs> you know, I remember as a young Christian, you know, it's like everybody set you up. So they were more afraid of disappointment in your life than they were the enemy ravaging you. So they say, you know, be careful because, you know, things are going really good. You know, the enemy's coming. And the enemy's coming, so so it's like you didn't you weren't even allowed to enjoy the moment. You weren't even allowed to enjoy the moment of breakthrough because your default setting was fear, apprehension, negativity. You know, what's that guys with all those laws? Murphy's law, right? Murphy's law seems to have more power in affecting our mindset than God's law. <laughs> Hello. Right? Everybody knows at least one Murphy's Law, and even if you don't know the actual source of it or have never heard it from Murphy, you've, you've thought it because it comes from the demonic realm. It comes from that overshadowing fear that causes us to be reserved, timid, stepping back, guarded, you know, trying to, well, if I can only, if, I, if he only gets half of what I have, I can make it. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And God is calling us to be the head, not the tail. All right, well. So I want to talk about spiritual immunity, and I want to use these, this, this, this theme. The key is in our invisibility. Invisibility. Do you know that God has an ability to make you invisible to the enemy? He can't hit what he can't see, right. right? Invisibility. I remember as a kid thinking about invisibility. I thought, oh, it'd be so great to be invisible. I could eat cookies and my mom wouldn't know, right? I, I wasn't a, a saint, so I fantasized going into a bank and taking money, going into a grocery store, taking chocolate bars. <laughs> yeah. Right? Invisibility. That would be an amazing gift. What superpower would you like? Invisibility. Well, we can have invisibility. Imagine that. Imagine an enemy 
trying to fight against us when he can't see us anywhere. We can sneak up on him. There are times in the scripture where we see this kind of invisibility, where we see that the natural senses to discern can be easily diminished. I was reading one just the other day when it talked about Jesus after he was resurrected. He's walking along the road with two disciples, one of whom was Simon. Later, because it, it says later that Simon, he appeared to Simon, and uh, he starts. They're depressed. They're you know they 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 Jesus has died. We heard that he was risen. These ladies, but what do they know? You know, so they're not sure what's going on. And then Jesus comes to them, but it says that their their senses were diminished such that they could not recognize him. They couldn't even see him. He's standing right there, but all of those. Inherent capacities to see and know and understand, they're of no use. He's right there, right in front of them, and they can't, they can't see him. They see another person. They can't acknowledge it's him till later. You have this time when Jesus is in his old hometown, and he's reading from the scriptures, and he says to them that nasty word. He says he's reading about the Christ, the Messiah that would come, and he says these words today are fulfilled in the hearing of your ear. And they, they thought, blasphemy. And so they grab a hold of him. I want you to picture this. They grab a hold of him, and they are ushering him out to the cliff, right? What does that look like? Well, imagine have you ever seen anything in a movie or a show or a report where people are beating on one person? You know, it's very hard to get away. It's, it's because they're right there. So, but it says this. It says that Jesus passed through the midst of them. Like what, what all of a sudden? Did he get the linebacker anointing? Right? Did he suddenly become the fastest man in the universe? You know, like, he just, look at him dart and move and spin. It's like, wow, play football? He should be on our team. It wasn't like that. The enemy suddenly lost the ability to see him. Suddenly lost the ability to see them. And if you go, actually, and you look at what happened, the way he was betrayed in the garden, and and they said, you know, they, they, they would see him every day, but yet they needed somebody to point him out. Why? Why would they need somebody to point him out? If he, he was there daily teaching in the synagogues, they knew what he looked like. They had lots of people that could have recognized him physically, but somehow at other times, he was undiscernible. Like, where, you know, where did he go? What happened? It's like that scene from uh, It's a Wonderful Life, right? When... Uh, <laughs> The guy, the guy trying to arrest the, the angel, and he all of a sudden he disappears. Immunity through invisibility. So they're trying to kill Jesus. And you know the other stories, a time when Lot was uh, being rescued out of his, the city from, by the angels, and the men are trying to rape them, and the angels release blindness. And all of a sudden those men whose whose uh, eyeballs were perfectly well-suited for vision were unable to detect anything or anyone. They groped around in the night. Why? Because there's a spiritual dynamic beyond our natural senses that is responsible for sight. There's a spiritual dynamic 
beyond our senses, which is responsible for what we discern, what we have the capacity to even appreciate or feel. It's spiritual, not natural. And the natural senses that we have are completely hinging on that. So what we have here is we have an, a, an ability for God to give us, uh, give us uh, a capacity to outrank out, out flock, out, out deke the enemy by being invisible. Now this last week I was with a group of people in uh, St. John like a week ago and uh, we were leaning into the Lord for some prophetic words for Canada. It was about 30 of us gathered and uh, we were worshiping and praying and all of a sudden I saw this internal vision and by that I mean it's a prophetic picture in my mind's eye and I saw the enemy looking at what looked like a radar screen and as he's looking at the radar screen I could see that he was tracking us tracking believers that he was he had a system in place that was was responsible and able to see where we were but all of a sudden, as I was looking at it, I could see that we weren't entirely visible. It's like most of our frame, most of our, like we weren't there. But what I saw was little blotches of darkness in different people. And that what the enemy could see was those dark blotches, but nothing else. I thought, oh, that's, that's interesting. Well, if you go back to those words that we were singing earlier. So this is what I'm sitting here thinking, you know, and I didn't choose the songs this week. I never choose the songs. I may sometimes suggest one in, in the middle of singing. But, but this is what we said, blow away the darkness till all that's left is you. Blow away the darkness till it's all that's left is you. And this is the principle here. The enemy can't see light. You know how you, at night you go out and you're camping and there's no lights, there's no street lights, and if, there, if it's overcast at all, you can't even see within a, an inch in front of you unless there's some source of light, right? You just can't see in the dark. We don't have the ability naturally to see fully or clearly in the dark. We need light. Well, by the same token, the enemy can't see in the light. Yes. Now, I'm talking about natural light. I'm talking about spiritual light. Right? The enemy can't see in the light, but he has mastery over everything that is dark. He has an ability to detect, an ability to tap into, an ability to manipulate what is darkness inside of us. I was just talking to somebody this morning about this, this issue. I, I said, you know, when it comes to human relationships, when you have manipulators in your life, yeah, it's bad. You know, there are people that are manipulative and guilting you and, you know, causing fear and, you know, turning you every which way but loose, right? You know, they do that only because they can. But if you get to the place where you have no triggers for them to manipulate, like if you are prone to guilt, then when somebody lays a guilt trip on you, you do what they want. Why? Because there's something in you that can be wielded. But if that, if, if you don't care about their guilt, if you're not prone to feeling guilty, guilt doesn't work. I remember when my son Matthew, he, uh, he had this great one teacher, wonderful lady, 
absolutely wonderful lady. But uh, something in her life reflected the fact that she was prone to guilt. She did a lot of things out of guilt. I mean, she was very, very nice. Sweetest grade one teacher you ever want. And, you know, but anyway, Matthew, he was the worst behaved kid in the school. And we get reports all the time. And, you know, she said, I don't know what to do with him. And what was funny is the next year he went to another class with a, with a male teacher who didn't do guilt. And all of a sudden he's a perfect student. And, and, and one of the kids, the parents, one of the other kids said, yeah, we, we wouldn't have even known Matt was a bad kid unless we'd heard about last year. He's just so good. And why is that? Well, we don't do guilt in our family. Right? And the teacher in grade one, everything she did, all her motivating things were based on guilt. Oh, Matt, I'm so disappointed. Okay. <laughs> like, like, there's no leverage there. <laughs> we don't do guilt. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I do pain. <laughs> <laughs> We do, we do, you can't go outside, you can't play with your toys, you know, but we don't do guilt in our family. So the teacher, using this tool, he's immune. He's completely free. It's like, that's great, try that on them. <laughs> now, he didn't even know what's happening, he's just mystified, like, I don't know what you want. <laughs> like, why are you telling me these things? <laughs> yeah. Can you see? Now think about your life for a second. Think about how many, what intimidates you? What brings you into line? What causes you to be, right? Those are the things that the enemy can get at. People can get at them, and the enemy can get at them. They're not light, they're darkness. And so our prayer is, oh God, shine your light. Fill me, change me, until all that's left is you. This is the principle of real authority. And so what happens is, is if you can't be moved by guilt or false obligation and, and whatnot, when people try to come with that, you're just like, keep going on. And you don't have to be mad that people are doing that because you don't even care. You don't even notice. It's like, it's like somebody, I remember this, this lady came to me and tried to manipulate me when I was in Bible school. She, uh, she had helped me with some moments of prayer and stuff, but I didn't know she was a bit of a Jezebel. And anyway, one day she comes to me and she, she says, uh, she's sad. And I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, I cared about her. I said, what's going on? Why are you sad? She said, well, you know, you just, you just serve and serve and serve and, and people don't care. You, you do so much for people, and you're there for them, and then when you have a need, they're not there for you. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, that's terrible. I wonder what's for lunch. <laughs> and I, I just kind of like, uh, and I'm thinking, are you talking about me or somebody else? No, you must be talking about somebody else, because if it was me, you would talk to me clearly and plainly. You would ask me to do something. You would make a request. But she's, she's using guilt, obligation, or pain, you know, false human empathy, the kind of empathy that we have that makes us feel loving, right? So that we're always 
We're always sensitive that I want to feel like a loving person, so I use my empathy to substitute for actual love. Now, empathy can come out of love, but there's, a, there's a, an effort that comes out of the soul, comes out of identity, comes out of ourselves, that it looks like spiritual empathy, but it isn't. It's, it's our means of subverting God's transformative process. An artificial version of something that can be genuine and authentic. But what happens when it's soulish, it can be manipulated by other soulish people. But unfortunately, I didn't do guilt. And so when she's reaching for me, she can't find a handle. Now, she was re- if she had a, using some other tools, I was, there was other things I was quite susceptible to. <laughs> Just not that. And you realize that. And this is why God gives us relationships because when you see somebody that's just totally not susceptible to something that always manipulates you, you know, there's a reason for that. And you should want to find out what is it that they don't have that I have that's causing me to always be subjected to controlling people. What is that? How how does that happen? Why does that happen? You know, and for some people, they well, if you just don't care about anybody and anything, that's the trick. <laughs> also, a false measure. <laughs> are, you, are you hearing me? But the idea here, and Jesus said it this way, he said, the prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. Like, like his tools are all based on the, his ability to manipulate things that are equal or equivalent to his nature. And if those things aren't in us, if we don't need the praises of men, if we don't care about our lives in terms of laying them down, we can't be threatened into, we can't be coerced into doing what the authorities want us to do. If they say, well, you know, we're going to put you in jail. We're going to take away your stuff. Okay. I'm free. That stuff's fading anyway. I have no life that I need to preserve. And my life is in the hands of God. And you can't take it from me unless God gives you permission. And if God gives you permission, I'm glad to go. That's freedom. Suddenly you're outside of the tyrannical grasp of powers, be they natural or spiritual. That's freedom. Amen. Woo. So we have a promise of immunity. Luke chapter 10, verse 18 to 20. It says, And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpion and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Wow. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Well, you know, that's not been my experience. <laughs> right? I mean, let's be honest. Have you, have you been hurt? Have you been, you know, entered into whether it's relational situations where you've been wounded or hurt by people? Well, the promise here is that you can be entirely free. You can rise above the fray of what's called the snake line of the spiritual battle. You can, where you can be seated in heavenly places such that those things have no grasp on you. And more than that, if we're warring against principalities and powers that have some kind of dominion over a region physically, like what, what, what forces need to be uh, in, 
initialized or, or brought to bear on the situation that makes us able to walk around freely. These are the things that are available to us. The last chapter of my book, Metaspheres, I give an example of, a, of a, an evangelist going to a part of India where, where there was, uh, I mean, it was hostile to the gospel, let me say that. And many people who had gone into this part had been killed, murdered, burnt alive, and all kinds of things. And this evangelist went in there for a brief period of time. Uh, and, you know, when, when it was time to go, they, they went, and they went quickly. But while they were there, this presence, this manifestation of spiritual light entered into that region and they were able to preach the gospel and people get saved and even the ones who were responsible for murdering the last pastors that had come in to preach themselves got saved and came to the Lord. But, uh, but it was because he understood the weaponry of light and was able to walk in light to the degree that that atmospheric presence of God came into what it was otherwise a spiritual, hostile arena. Father, give us the ability to wield the weapons of heaven. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name. Uh, God, we want to be, we want to be, we want to find out the things we are artificially subject to so that we can be free. Father, show us where ego, show us where pride, show us where selfishness, where, show us where unbelief, show us where the fear of man dominates our lives and impedes us from being able to live a, live a, a free existence according to your promise. Father, in Jesus' name. Now, uh, some people, when we're trying to deal, and I remember, I remember thinking about this as a young Christian. I thought, well, because preachers would come along and they say, well, you know, Satan has no power. And I remember thinking, yeah, yeah, Satan has no power. Yet my real life experience said otherwise. <laughs> Why? Because you can say, okay. You can say, well, Jesus came and he led captivity captive and he ascended on high and, you know, the dominion is now in his hands. He's been given the kingdom, da-da-da-da-da-da. But we are in a mop-up period where the enemy is still f- running free and he's still doing what, he can all, we, what he's always done before. So how do, you, how do you theologically put those things together? He's defeated, but he still seems to have power. But his power is limited to the things that belong to him. That's why Jesus called him the prince of the power of the air. He said the God of this world is coming. So he wasn't saying he's not without power, but his dominion is limited to darkness. His dominion is limited to darkness. And you've heard me give this illustration before. It's like Magneto in the, uh, in the X-Men series, right? Magneto, his superpower, he had, the, he had the ability to manipulate and lord over metal. So, you know, if, if you had uh, uh, somehow they got us some little beads of metal through a, in a cake into his cell, you know, they made his cell of a polymer thing. He was locked up, but as soon as he got a little bit of metal in there, 
he could make that metal, turn it into a gun or a bullet or anything he wanted because he has dominion over that particular thing. Satan does not have dominion over light. He has no ability to grasp. He has no ability to manipulate. He has no ability to even see in light. In the same way we can't see in the dark, he can't see in the light. That's why the Apostle John says, walk in the light as he is in the light. He said, listen, immunity comes when you walk in the light. It's, it's not an altruistic truth that's true for everybody all the time. It's true in as much as you walk in the light. Like we, we love to go to these extreme polarizing you know, principles. Well, Satan is defeated. He's a, he's a lion without teeth. Well, yes, if you are the lion tamer. <laughs> but you turn your back on a lion... And he detects your fear and your insecurity. He'll bite you. But the lion tamer's got a whip. The lion tamer has instilled the fear of man into the lion. Wow. And of course, 1 Peter 5.8 says this. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may, he may devour. Now, Peter would not be saying that if you couldn't be devoured. He's like giving you a warning. Hey, guys. No, you, Peter, you obviously don't understand what my Bible school teacher said. He said the devil's been stripped of all his power. All right, well, give it a shot. <laughs> and so... Listen, sometimes we do these things because we fear, we don't have faith, and we think that if I can intellectually, in my mind, diminish the power of the enemy, that that somehow elevates mine. That somehow provides me the immunity I need. No, it doesn't. What we need is a revelation of the power of light to the point where we want to walk in it and be in it all the time, where we are zealous to make sure no jealousy occupies any part of our heart, where we're cleansing our heart from envy and judgment and hatred. When somebody, when somebody hates us and we have the impulse to hate back, pay attention, because that's not light, Right? Jesus on the cross, and they're hating him. They're dividing his spoils. They're, they're crucifying. They're putting him to death. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Why? Because he's full of light. And I can't be brought into the subjection to your hatred because I have no hatred in me. And because of that, I'm free, free to love, free to forgive, free to pray for you, free to do what's necessary for you to come through to your destiny. That's power, that's freedom. But if I can easily brought in to be brought into the same spirit as you, well, you think, well, you know, and what's happened in this political season, right? It's nothing wrong with standing up for righteousness, but there's a lot wrong with hating your enemies. Why did Jesus say, love your enemies? Do good to those who despitefully use you. Because you can't. If it's inside of you, if that hate is inside of you, if that self-interest is inside of you, you can't do that. So it's, it's God's way of saying, it's, you got some cleaning up to do. Huh. See, at the end of the day, 
The provision God has made for us is the provision to access things of the kingdom of light, and we have nobody to blame if we don't access them because they're always available to us. Well, yeah, but you don't understand my boss. My boss is a real jerk. Yeah, but if you loved more, you would see him as a victim and not as a, an oppressor. If, if you could really see, if you could get past your insecurity around what's that doing to your future and begin to see the situation from heaven, you see he's a little man. He's insecure, he's puny, he's, he's terrified. And he's a bully because he's terrified. But the fact that you engage in the same spirit means that there's something in you that he's latching into. What is it that he's got a hold on? What is it that puts you, causes you to not be able to say anything in that moment? You're in the, the you're, you know, you, uh, later you think of 18 things I could have said to could have explained the situation. He's reaming me out. He's, he's humiliating me. And I, I should have said, but in the moment I was paralyzed. Why? Because there's something in me that he was accessing that was paralyzing you. This is immunity. This is, this is the power that's available to us if we walk in the light. And the whole journey of our life is, is finding, when we find situations where we're not free, the question is, well, I gotta get away from that toxic person. No, get, get to the place where that toxic person has no hold on you. It's like, ah, man, you've you got some real problems. You know, for years, Wendy has said to me, you know, you, You've got an anger problem when you drive. Yeah, because there's such terrible drivers out there. <laughs> well, it might be more than that. <laughs> yes, they're inconveniencing me. We have to look at these things. And this is the principle of the tr- that the, the Jesus said to the disciples. He said, said, what defiles a man is what comes out of him, not what goes in. What defiles you is not what goes in, but what comes out of you. Because what comes out of you comes from the heart. That means it's already there. It might have been initiated by some, some person in your life, but they can't initiate what ain't there. Right? Oh, yeah. Whoa. The, the trouble with that is like we're so, we exist by blaming others. We feel justified. We feel secure in our righteousness because it's everybody else's fault. And what the gospel has given us is the means to realize what's in us, not what's just in others. That's where the freedom begins. And you know what's exciting for me? Oh, man. Uh, the Lord has been training me all these years, and I've been growing. And, you know, the, just because you know it doesn't mean you do it. Right? Just because you know it doesn't mean you're doing it faithfully all the time. But here's what I love about this season that we're in. Suddenly there's a cross-section of the body of Christ who are willing to be honest with themselves enough to look in the mirror and not run away and say, well, you said I was a bad Christian because I was, you know, raging at people when I'm driving. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying darkness is what it is, and we should learn to discern it. Not just what's, when it's on the silver screen. Sometimes it's just in the mirror. Well, here, let me, let me read this scripture, and I'm going to try and speed it up here because uh, we're coming to an end. Job 41, 34 is talking about Leviathan. How many of you heard any teaching on Leviathan? 
right? It's like, that's, it, it is a part of what we're dealing with in this province. Part of the mandate of this church is to deal with a spiritual Leviathan. That's the calling of this body. We are, at, we are actually uh, warring against that. That's the word, part of the word that Bob Jones gave me before I came here. He said about what this church is called to do because, because that's how authority is realized when you overcome spirit. And that spirit keeps coming. When it comes and has no more place in this body, then we have authority. Then we really rule. Then we can walk around like we're the big men on the block. But this is what it says. Psalm, uh, Job 41, verse 34. It says, concerning Leviathan, he beholds every high thing. He is the king over all the children of pride. I want you to think about that in the context of Jesus saying, the prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. Authority has to do with dominion over certain substances. And this spirit has dominion over the children of pride. It is the king of pride. So that means you can't just say, get away from me in Jesus' name, because if you have pride, it will manipulate you eight ways to Sunday. And you will be subject to that spirit no matter how many times you say, in the name of Jesus. Do I not say in the name? No, do that anyway. But go beyond that and start getting rid of the stuff, the handles in your life that make you so easily twisted. He is the king of pride. He rules over the children of pride. But here's the part that's so cool. He, it says he beholds every high thing. What does that mean? He can detect. He can see. He can perceive every high thing. So, you know, you're walking around and somebody told you you should be humble. I should be humble. That means, you know, not talking too loud, not being too assertive. Yeah, well, you know, God's, if it be God's will. <laughs> That's not humility. Humility is a dependency upon God that does not self-glorify. Pride. Pride is something easily detected by the enemy. And when he sees it, you appear on his screen. And when you appear on his screen, he can find you. Whoa. I want to get rid of that. Right, Brian? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I want to get rid of that. Let me me quickly give you another scripture here. First John, no, John 1, 1 to 5. This is a beautiful passage here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was nothing was made that was made. That means He made everything. Don't you love the way the Scriptures talk? Without Him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, one version says. That suggests didn't understand it. Well, that's true. When the light shines in the darkness, it's confusing to darkness. Darkness has, it loses its orientation when the light shines. It, but more than that, it loses its ability to, in, to infuse itself into the situation. It actually can't do anything against the light is really what it's talking about. It's talking about, it's the word um, catalambano. 
And it means this. It means to lay hold of, seize with eagerness or suddenness. When an evil spirit seizes a man and torments them, right? When that spirit came on the young boy and throws him into the fire, it's that word. It's, it, it grabs a hold of him. It has a leverage. And what it's saying is, listen, the darkness has no leverage on light. The darkness is not equipped to defend itself, to, to, to resist to, to turn the course of light in its direction, it can't do anything. And this is one of those altruistic principles that when, our, when, we're, when we're not understanding how it works, we think, well, you know, I'm, I'm walking in light. I'm a child of light. I'm born again. I pray in tongues. Therefore, I'm immune. No! Only in as much as you walk in the light. Now, because we're closing, let me give you a quick couple of things because and maybe you may be coming away I don't want you to come away scared like well I'm totally exposed now <laughs> it's like like my, you know I got all kinds of darkness in me I better not go to prayer anymore better stop going to church you're gonna hide out in a cave you know because I want to be undetectable to the enemy well there's two ways of being undetectable two ways one is have no darkness in you then you know then you're imperceptible to the enemy you are invisible for all intents and purpose Right? You, you, you can't be seen. You can't be detected. The other way is the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is a solution for your sinfulness. It just needs to be regularly applied, appropriated. It begins by acknowledgement of your sin. And see, here's the thing. There's lots wrong with us. Lots of darkness in our life. And it, just the fact that there is darkness doesn't mean we're exposed to the enemy. Because the blood of Jesus covers us when we are not perfect. But, but, but here's the thing. When God is at the place in your life where he's wanting to deal with the pride, when God wants to deal with the fear of man, when God wants to deal with the envy, when God wants to deal with the jealousy, when God wants to deal with the competitiveness, when God wants to deal with your propensity to hate and curse your brother, he is uncovering that sin during that time because he wants to deal with it. It's not uncovered all the time, but when you steadily resist the Lord and his calling to deal with something that's inside of you that he wants to deal with because it's critical to your destiny, critical to your journey, critical to your invisibility. The blood of Jesus is a provision until you are cleansed. Until there's no more darkness in you. The blood of Jesus is what gives you the courage to go before God and not be ashamed of the fact that that's there. The blood of Jesus allows you to go to the mirror and say, ah, yeah, I can be honest with myself and not pray, well, yeah, but it wasn't me, it was my husband. Yeah, but it wasn't me, it was my boss. Yeah, but it wasn't me, it's because I, you know, I, was, I was tired. No, 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 you really are that awful. The blood of Jesus gives you the capacity to look in the mirror and still be bold. <laughs> but sometimes we use the idea of the blood of Jesus to circumvent dealing with our sin. Whoa, whoa, come on. Oh, but here's, here's the long short of it. You're called to authority. You're called to a place where the enemy can do nothing 
can't hurt your business, can't hurt your home, can't hurt your kids, can't hurt your, you know, your car, you, you know, no, no things out of order. I mean, things happen, natural things happen, but the assault of the enemy is quite another thing. And provision has been made for you to walk freely and boldly. But there's a journey of humility, forgiveness, and truth that gets you to a place where God can start to send you into the dark places of the world and know that you'll be immune because you can't be seen. And then it's not a question of, oh, is he holding on to resentment too long? Because, you know, what if, what, if, what, if, what if all of a sudden, and you've seen it in movies sometimes when somebody's invisible, but something makes them visible, right? And for that time, their, I mean, their, their freedom, their independence is, is compromised. And the Lord wants to use us to walk into the camps of the enemy, and overcome and be immune to his power. That's his goal, but this is the journey. Not reaching toward absolutes, the devil has no power and I'm perfect and Jesus never sees anything wrong with me. But walking in the light as he is in the light. And it begins with your confidence. The confidence that comes from the blood of Jesus, not in believing you're sinless. The blood of Jesus is the first confidence that makes you immune to the enemy. The second confidence out of that is light. When there's no more sin, when you stop thinking and feeling like the world, when you stop responding to situations, then there's nothing in you and the prince of this world can come all he wants, but it's like, go ahead, try. So, let's pause here for a second. Father, we ask for a spirit of revelation today. We're not afraid. We're not afraid of the enemy. We're not afraid of accountability today. So, Father, we say we want to live our lives honestly and truthfully before you today. So we ask in Jesus' name that you would begin to show us the words, the moments, the activities that others do that suddenly ignite darkness inside of us. Father, we don't want to pass over it. We don't want to cast stones. We don't want to blame. We want to deal with it so it doesn't happen anymore. Whether it's a husband, a child, a neighbor, a a sibling, whatever it is, those things that ignite us are, are not the problem. The fact that we can be ignited is the problem. Bring us into freedom. Father, bring us into freedom, I pray, where we can look upon our enemy with complete love. We can look upon those that are trying to put us to death and take everything we have away, and we can do nothing but love them and pray for them. Whoever heard of an army, O God, that conquered the earth through weeping and mourning and brokenness, immune to darkness, is that army. Hallelujah.